Thank you, praise team. Give them another big hand, would you? They did a great job as always, and uh, glad that you're here. For those of you in person, welcome. And for those of you who are watching online, we certainly appreciate you uh, tuning us in today and being with us as well. Hey, it's good to be in God's house, right? Hey, it's good to see you. Glad that you're here. And uh, welcome to our worship time. Uh, This is the second time we've had worship this morning. We had a service at 9 o'clock, and uh, God really spoke to hearts, and it was an amazing service. Uh, This is going to be just as good, if not better, right? Because you're here, right? Hey, uh, we're going to start the way we have the last two Sundays. I want you to stand with me, if you would. I know we've had you up and down. Uh, There's a motive behind that. We don't want you to fall asleep on us, all right? So we're doing the jumping jacks thing. But what we're going to do today is read our mission statement uh, from Kavanaugh Church. This is what we're about. This is what God has called us to do. And as we've read this the last couple of weeks, I I know you're starting to get it. And and maybe it's familiar to you because it it sounds a whole lot like the great commission that God has given to all Christians and all churches to go into the world and reach lost people, right? And, And that's exactly what it is with our take on it. So would you read together with me the mission statement for Kavanaugh Church? Here we go. At Kavanaugh Church, our mission is to win people to Christ, train believers to become disciples, and send disciples out to impact the world. That's a pretty good statement, is it not? (laughs) Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. A a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission is going to build a great church. And we are seeing our mission statement to win, train, and send come to life from Scripture through the series that I'm preaching uh, on mission with God from the book of Jonah. So turn with me to Jonah chapter 2, and we're going to take another look at uh, this prophet. Jonah teaches us so much, and one of the main reasons I think it is so good that the Holy Spirit put this book in our Bible is to show us how we sometimes get away from what the heart of God is all about. And that is the story of Jonah. He is literally running away from doing what God has called him to do. Now, going back to our mission statement, it's three things. We want to win people to Christ. We want to train those new believers to become disciples and then send those disciples back out into the world to make an impact for Jesus Christ. Let me just compare that and show you how the book of Jonah relates to this. God's great passion, in fact, I would say the quest of Almighty God is to reach people who are lost. God wants lost people to be found. The reason he sent his son Jesus Christ to the world to die on the cross is to save people from their sins. God loves people. God wants people to be saved. God cares about people. And so we ought to love people as well, right? God's quest is to save the nations of the world. And so he's looking down at Nineveh, a large city for the time. There was 120,000 people who lived there. It took three days to walk around the circumference of Nineveh. And God sees this wicked, pagan, evil city. There was not one righteous person living in Nineveh. And God had apparently given them numerous opportunities to repent and to come back to him, but they had failed to do so. And so God says, okay, I'm going to give you one more chance to repent. And if they didn't repent, I I really believe like Sodom, he, he was going to destroy that city and their wickedness. But he wants to save the nations. He cares about people. And so he was going to give them one more chance. I'm thankful for second chances, aren't you? Okay. And so God looked down at at his pool of preachers, and he said, I think the right man for this job is old brother Jonah over here. And I called Jonah years ago to be a prophet, and he said yes to my call. But you know what? I, I know Jonah's heart. And Jonah is not quite on the team that I'm on. Jonah is still struggling with things, but I'm going to call Jonah and use him to preach to the Ninevites, but I've got some training to do with Jonah. Does that sound familiar? Because that's number two in our mission statement. God not only has a quest to win people, but he's wanting to train believers to become disciples. 
and he knew that, that Jonah needed some more training. How about you? Do you need more training? Dude, I know I do. I've, I've been doing this all my life, but God's not finished with me yet, and he's still training me. He's molding me into the person he wants me to be, and that's what he's doing with Jonah in this story. And so he says to Jonah, Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh and preach repentance to them. But here's the problem. Jonah doesn't like the Ninevites. In fact, he hates them. He wants them to perish. He knows what's going to happen. He knows if he goes to Nineveh and preach repentance to them, he knows they'll repent. And if they repent, he knows God is going to relent and forgive them. And Jonah didn't want that to happen. Jonah wanted, get this, Jonah wanted God to annihilate the Ninevites. He didn't like them. He hated them. He wanted them to die. And you're probably sitting there thinking, how in the world could a preacher be that way? Well, let me just get uncomfortably close to you right now. Let me kind of get in your space a little bit and say, think about your own self. Because chances are, 99% of us in this room has at least one person that, that we don't really care for. It, it, it may be someone we go to school with, someone we work with. Maybe they live down the street from us. Maybe they're that neighbor, you know. Maybe, maybe we don't even know the person personally or individually. We just know about the person. So there's a group of people in the River Valley that you don't care for, whoever they may be. Or it might be a group of people on the other side of the world that you've read about and, and you know that they don't align with your beliefs and, and you don't care for them and you could really care less if they go to hell or not. You know, chances are that there may be somebody in our life like that. That's the way it was with Noah or Jonah. He, he didn't care about the Ninevites. He, he didn't care, but God cared. Because God cares about people. And God also cares about Jonah. He's trying to train Jonah. So he says, Jonah, go. And Jonah says, no. And he goes to Joppa and he buys a ticket to go to Tarshish. Now, let me diagram this for you with my fingers. All right? You following my fingers? Here's Joppa right here. Put Joppa right here. Nineveh is up here about 550 miles north and west, or east, north and east of Joppa. Way over here is Tarshish, about 2,000 miles away. So from Tarshish to Nineveh, it's close to 2,600 miles. And literally, Jonah is running as far away from God as he possibly could. Tarshish was the furthest known point in the world at that time. He was running from God. Last week we saw... In chapter 1, God saw this whole situation developing down here. And this is, what, this is what God did. The Bible says he hurled, he threw a storm down on the sea directed right at that boat. God can do that. So he hurled this storm down. And, and I don't know, it was, it was a bad hurricane, tsunami. I don't know, huge waves, maybe 15-foot waves. It was so bad that the sailors who were seasoned sailors were afraid for their lives. And so the Bible tells us what they did. They all cried to their gods. Save us gods. But those gods couldn't save because they're not the real God. Okay? And so they did the next thing they knew to do in their nautical experience they threw the cargo overboard to lighten the vessel, hoping that they would save their own skins. For some reason, the pagan captain of that ship went down inside the ship. Maybe he was looking for leaks, Jason, or maybe he was looking for more cargo that he could throw overboard. But he found our man. Last week, I called him Jojo. They found Jonah. And you know what Jonah was doing? He was fast asleep. I mean, there's a hurricane outside this boat, and he's sleeping. And so the pagan captain of the ship said something like this, Dude, wake up. Cry to your God so that we don't perish. Now, isn't that a kick? 
Here, here is a pagan infidel telling a preacher to pray so that we can be saved. So Jonah wakes up and he doesn't pray at this point, but he explains the situation. He said, the reason there's this storm is because I'm, I'm fleeing from the one true and living God. There's really only one God and I'm running from him. And he said, if you want the storm to stop, throw me overboard. And I indicated last week that perhaps Jonah was thinking in all of this, you know what, this is one way to be rid of all this. I can be rid of this storm. I can be rid of the Ninevites if I just die. So throw me overboard and it'll all be over with. That's how far Jonah was from God at that point. And so they didn't want to do it, but they threw him overboard. And all of a sudden, those 15-foot waves ceased and everything was calm. Now here's a cool side note to this. God used that storm really for two things. Number one, he used it to, to speak to those pagan infidels because the Bible says all of these sailors who were pagans begin to cry out and worship to God at that point. Amen. They realize, you know what? There is one God, and we've been worshiping the wrong gods. There's only one God, and they started worshiping. To put it in New Testament terms, they were converted, all right? But the second point for that storm is for God to get his man Jonah back on track. And he did. Because when Jonah was thrown overboard, God commissioned this big fish to act as a submarine and swallow his prophet. And so it's round two for Jonah. Let me just tell you this. Whenever God asks us to do something, I really think he's kind of putting us to the test. Are we going to obey what he's asked us to do? It's a test. And we either pass the test or we flunk the test. Jonah flunked the first test. And so now he's going to have to take the test all over again. But it's not going to be nearly as good because he's going to spend three days and three nights in the whale motel. <laughs> Chapter 1 verse 17 ends by telling us God had prepared this big fish and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and for three nights. This guy was in trouble, okay? Big time trouble. And in chapter 2, verse 1, begins by telling us that Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. Now, I don't know exactly when it was that he started this prayer. I kind of have the indication that it was after three days and three nights he had been in there, because that's how chapter 117 ends. Three days and three nights he was there. Then he prayed to the Lord from the fish's belly. But the point is, he finally prayed. Okay? He finally realized, I'm in a mess. I've hit rock bottom. I need some help. And so he's praying to the Lord. Jonah prays, get this, inside the fish's belly. So I've got to do a little time out right here, church, and tell you this. There is no place where it is inappropriate for you to pray. Dude, if Jonah could pray inside a fish's belly, you can pray no matter where you are. Eh? And God will hear you. When you're tossing and turning at 3 o'clock in the morning and you can't sleep because the weight of the world is on your shoulders, you can pray right there in bed. If you're a student and the teacher passes out this pop quiz that you didn't expect, you know what? Right there at your desk, you can pray. Now, it always helps that you study, you know, but... You can pray. When you're in the emergency room with a sick child, guess what? Right there in the emergency room, you can pray. When you're in the boardroom at work and the pressure is on you, you can pray. Why? Because God hears you no matter where you pray. So chapter 2, verse 1 begins, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. And again, to this point, we don't see Jonah praying. Up until now, the prophet hasn't prayed, but there's been a change in his heart. <laughs> it's funny how God can make that change occur, isn't it? And he realizes, you know what, I need to get back to what I know, and that is praying. We're going to see this a little bit later on, but in verse number 6, Jonah talks about how the Lord brought him up out of the pit. That's the word that he uses there. I was down in a pit, and God brought me up out of the pit. Therefore, I've entitled this sermon today, When You've Hit Rock Bottom. When you're down in the pit and you can't go any further, I mean, you've hit rock bottom, what do you do? 
I told the first service people, I remember years ago, a guy coming into my office, and it was when I was in Pine Bluff at, at the Oak Park Church, and, and he said, preacher, I've hit rock bottom. I never thought I would see my life in the condition that I'm in, but I've hit rock bottom. I can't even see which way's up I'm so far down. Are you there? Have you been there? Jonah was. He couldn't see up because he was looking down. He had hit rock bottom. And so he begins to think about his life and the problems that had occurred because of his disobedience to God. And so he prays this prayer, Jonah chapter 2. Really, chapter 2 is is Jonah's prayer journal. And as we read through chapter 2, we see a clear progression that leads to Jonah's restoration. Four things are involved in it. Number one, there is his returning to God. Jonah had been running from God, okay? So here's God right here. Jonah's going in this direction. He's been running from God. But in chapter 2, he makes a U-turn, and now Jonah is running to God. That is the first step we need to take when we realize our life is a mess, and and we can't fix it ourselves. What do you do? You run to God. Now, there's a verse in the Bible. It's found in in Malachi chapter 3, verse 7. If you don't have this verse underlined, I would highly suggest you underline it, maybe even memorize it. Here's what God said, Malachi 3, 7. You already see it up there. In fact, why don't you read this aloud with me? Let's read it together on three. One, two, three. Return to me, and I will return to you. Who's saying that? That's God saying that. The maker of the universe. The God who spoke and this world came into existence. The God who created you. He's saying to you, hey, you return to me, I'll return to you. You make that first move, that first turn. You head my way and I'm going to come running to you. Amen. Amen. That's some good stuff right there, dude. Friend, let me tell you, there's always a way back from wherever you are. And I don't care where you are. You can even be in a fish's belly. There's a way out. No matter how far you are from God, I like to say God is just a prayer away. He's waiting for you to return to him. And when you do, God will return to you. He'll move toward you. You move to him, he's running to you. And he's bringing with him mercy, grace, and power to change your life. Wow. What an amazing thing. What's really amazing to me in this story is this. It's not that Jonah is returning to God. It's that God would return to Jonah. That's his grace, man. It doesn't matter how far you have run. You are now never out of his range. You're never out of his reach. And in Jonah's journal, he tells us all how it happened. Look at verse 2 of chapter 2. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me, out of the belly of what? Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. And he heard my cry. I read that verse this past week, and and it made me wonder again. Why is it that, that we have to get so low? Why is it that sometimes we have to hit rock bottom before we cry out to God? Now, doesn't it make more sense to be crying out to God before you hit rock bottom? But that's what he's saying here. I've I've hit rock bottom, and I'm going to cry out to you. That, though, is a good thing, to cry out to God when you have hit rock bottom. And he uses the word sheol here. It's the Hebrew word to describe death. If you're reading out of the King James, it's literally the word hell. Out of the belly of hell I cried to you. New King James, it's the word Sheol. All the other newer versions use the concept of death. Out of the valley of death, I've cried to you. Literally, the word means death. And Jonah is as good as dead, both physically and spiritually, when he is in this fish's stomach. And he realizes he's there. He realizes that God has put him there. But he's crying out to God. He says, God, you're my only hope. (laughs) And I need some help. And you know what? God was there. God heard his cry. How about an amen, church? God hears our cries, 
Even when we're in the belly of hell, God will help us if we cry out to him. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Hebrews 4, 16. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive what? Mercy and grace. Mercy and fine grace to help us in our time of need. And so when we, when we get to that point where we know we can't do it on our own and we need help, all we have to do is cry out to God. And he's going to give us grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. Wow, what a blessing right there. So in this process of, of Jonah being restored, there is returning. But secondly, there is reflecting. And, and the bulk of chapter 2 is him reflecting. He's, he's reflecting on his life and the mess that he is in and praying to God for help and deliverance. It, 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 the amazing thing to me about this is as I, I read chapter 2, I'm, I'm thinking I've seen some of these concepts that Jonah is praying. And then it dawned on me. He's praying some of the concepts I read out of the Psalms. And, and, and I thought, well, it, it only makes sense. Here is a prophet, a man of God. He knew the word of God. He had read the book of Psalms, maybe committed it to his memory. And now he is literally taking the word of God and praying it back to God. What a beautiful concept. You, you can never go wrong when you pray back the word of God to the Lord. And that, that's what Jonah is doing here. Look, for example, in verse number three. He says, for you have cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surround me. All your billows and your waves have passed over me. Now, you need to look at this very carefully. The, the storm had created this urgent situation. These sailors had thrown Jonah overboard. The, the sea was swallowing Jonah. But Jonah knew full well who was behind all of this. It was God's hand. God hurled that storm down there. God had created this turmoil in the sea. Notice the words that he used. You cast me into the deep. Your waves have swept over me. That is telling us that the storm, the sailors, and now the sea were all instruments that God was using just to get the attention of Brother Jonah. I said it last week. I want to say it again. When you are out of the will of God, when you're not obeying God, God is going to get your attention. It's not because he's mean, and he's this mean God, dictator God with this steel rod up in heaven that wants to whack you over the head when you disobey. No, it's because he loves you, and he knows what's best for your life, and doing his will is the best thing you can do in life. And so he's wanting to get your attention. But God will use anything he wants to use to get your attention. It may be your job or losing your job. It may be your finances or losing your finances. It, it may be the, a relationship or it could even be your health. But God can use anything to get your attention. Last night as I was pouring over this and praying over this, a thought just came to me. If God used the, the, the sailors, the storm, the sea, and a fish to get Jonah's attention. What is he trying to do to us today in Fort Smith, Arkansas in the year 2020? Dude, this is the craziest year I've ever experienced in my life. I'm 59 years old. I've never experienced a year like we're having right now. And it's as if Almighty God is just trying to get our attention. Hey, wake up, people. Wake up. Get on board with me. I have a quest. I have a passion. You need to be on mission with me. God was trying to get Jonah's attention. How much more so is God trying to get your attention? Now look at verse 4. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Lord, I've been cast out of your sight. I don't know, there are times when we say to God, your will be done. You ever said that? Lord, your will be done. I say it all the time. On the flip side, I do believe that there are times when, when God says back to us, okay, your will be done. Your will be done. I'm, I'm going to give you a, an option here. I'm going I'm to tell you what I want from your life, but you get to decide. Your, you decide. Your will be done. 
I have people ask me all the time, what, what is a free will Baptist? Kind of like, you know, they've never heard the concept free will Baptist. They think we're some kind of cult or freak or a bunch of weirdos or, you know. What is a free will Baptist? Well, instead of getting into some, you know, lengthy doctrinal dissertation of what we are, I just basically tell them, I said, well, here's what we believe, that God made every person with a free will. You have a choice in life. God loves you, and he has a plan for your life, and he wants to save you, and, and everything of God is good, but you get to choose. He gives you that choice, a volitional will. You can choose to accept God's gift of salvation, or you can choose not to. He's not going to force you. Even as a believer, he's going he's to tell you what he wants from your life, but you choose. Every day you get up and choose, am I going to live for God today? Am I, I going to do God's will today? And sometimes I think God says, okay, like he did to Jonah. Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh. I need you to preach to them. But again, it's your choice. Jonah made the wrong choice. And now God is, is saying to Jonah, okay, Jonah, you've chosen to go your own way. That was my sermon title last week. Remember that? When you go your own way? I thought it was nifty because I like Fleetwood Mac, you know. He chose to go his own way. And now God is saying, okay, Jonah, I want you to experience the hell that is in your soul when you're separated from me. And that's what he was experiencing because he says it right here. He says, I've been cast out of your side. I'm, I'm, I'm away from you, God. But it gets better. Look at 4B. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. In other words, he's saying, God... I've been looking away from it. You know what? You've got my full attention now, and I'm looking right at you. Help me, Lord. And then we come to verse 5. Now, again, I told the first service people, I can remember reading the, the book of Jonah when I was a little kid, Midland, Texas. We lived down the country, Keeneland Drive. Every night I'd read my Bible before I went to bed. I can remember Dad reading Jonah and I can remember, literally, I was just a little kid, maybe, I don't know, 19 years old. I read chapter 2, verse 5, and it just kind of grabbed me. And it's been holding on to me ever since. I, I find it very intriguing. Here's what he said. The waters surround me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. Seaweed wrapped around my head. I don't know, man. It just When I read that, 10 years old, it just kind of, ooh, man. And then I went to the ocean. Y'all ever been to the ocean? And, and I kind of got a, a feeling of what Jonah is, is experiencing here. Wow. You know what? I have a healthy respect for the ocean. It's, it's not that I fear it. I just respect it because it's more powerful than I am. And when I'm in the ocean, I'm not in control. The ocean is. I mean, you know that. If you just stepped out into the water, you know, and waves are just up to your knees, and it can be powerful. Angie and I were there just a few weeks ago, and we, we picked the wrong times to go on vacation. The hurricanes were coming in, you know? And, and so the ocean, it just, it was, it, I'd never seen the Gulf of Mexico like this. Huge waves, and they had the red flag up. It means don't go out in the water. People are stupid, you know? <laughs> Because we were down at the beach, and you know what? There were people going into the water, and just be the big old waves coming up, and, and there's this family that kind of got out there in the water, and probably they didn't need to be out there on a calm day, okay? <laughs> and uh, this, this, I'm not talking mean here, but this lady, I'm just going to call her a lady, she got out there, and I mean, the waves were just up to her knees, but that wave, this just maverick wave came, came, just came barreling, <laughs> and it knocked this old lady over. <laughs> and I mean, I, I don't know if she was screaming or crying, but I mean, she was panicking, and, and the people around her, they started laughing at first, and then they tried to help her up, and, and wave after wave, crashing and pulling, and the old man trying to help her up, he went down, and then... <laughs> Others came running out from the beach to help. It was a fiasco before it was over with. You can still see it, can't you? I can't too. 
I wish I could tell them everything I remember visually from this story, but that would be way too tacky, and I don't want to be tacky this way. But, you know, it, 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 it reminded me again, there is power in the ocean. And not only those waves crashing in, the undertow is something else, too. You ever got a hold of that under? Man, it can just rip you. That's why they call it a riptide. That's why they have those red flags out there. Don't go in the ocean. And oh, Jonah's experiencing all of this. Okay, visualize what I'm talking about here. At first in chapter 1, Jonah thought he was in control. I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to do it my own way. I don't want to go to preach to the Ninevites. I'm going to run from God. And he was in control. He bought a ticket, got on a ship, was headed to Tarshish. He was big time in control. At least he thought he was. But now he's totally out of control. He's in the ocean. Seaweed wrapped around his head. Dude, I've been in seaweed too, haven't you? You know, it gets all tangled up on you and you can't get it off of you. And you, you know, you, I mean, you're almost panicking because it's all around you. Seaweed was all over. He had lost control. Everything was chaos in his life. I wonder, have you been there? Boy, Jonah was. Look at verse 6 now. He said, I went down to the mornings and of the mountains and the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. You brought, you brought me up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. The cool thing about this verse is geologists tell us that there are mountains down below the surface of the sea that are literally taller than the mountains on dry land. You got that in your head? Literally, there are mountains under the water at the base of the sea taller than the tallest mountains we have on dry land. And here Jonah is in a whale's belly, a submarine handmade by God, and he's down at the very bottom of the earth. Literally, he's hit rock bottom. He's in a pit. That's what he calls it. He's in a pit. God, I need help. Is there any help for me? I'm as low as I can go. Do y'all know the name Cordy Ten Boom? Uh, yeah. Uh, she wrote a book, became a, a play, The Hiding Place. When I was at Hillsdale, I was in the drama de team department, Matt. I, was, I, I played a part in The Hiding Place. It, very intriguing story. Uh, Corey and her family lived in Holland. They were trying to save Jews in their home during the Nazi invasion, and, and a guy turned them in, and so her entire family was, was put in a concentration camp, and, and there she and her sister Betsy lived. Uh, Betsy was not in good health, and just a few years into their stay, on December 16, 1944, Betsy died. But these were Betsy's last words to her sister, Corey. She said this, We must tell them what we have learned here. Talking about the concentration camp. We must tell them what we have learned here. We must tell them that there is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still. Get that. There is no pit that you can be in that is so deep that God can't reach you. His reach is longer and deeper than the deepest pit that you can be in. Look at verse 7. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Now, in the Old Testament, when they used that word remember, it, it meant more than just remembering something. What it meant was this. Not only do I remember it, I now act upon it. And that's what O Jonah is saying. He recalled who God is and what God had done. And he's acting on who God is and what God has done. He's crying out in prayer, Lord, save me. And so as we read through his prayer journal, we have a returning, a reflecting. And inside of that is repentance. Because there is repenting here. Look at verse 8. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. 
And when Jonah speaks of this, of those regarding idols or worshiping idols or clinging to worthless idols, he may have been thinking about those sailors on board that ship. Remember what they did when God hurled the storm? They cried out to their gods, but those gods could not save them because those gods are not real. There's only one real God. So he could have been thinking about them, but I really think Jonah is also thinking about himself here. Maybe Jonah is thinking about the idolatry that is in his own heart that caused him to forfeit the grace of God in his life. Because listen to me, church. When we put our hopes and we pin our futures to anything other than God, that thing, whatever it is, becomes an idol to us, and we start worshiping that idol. And it could be anything. It could be money. It could be career. It could be stuff. It could be an addiction. It could be a relationship. It might even be an attitude. But when you cling to those things, we forfeit the mercy that could be ours. And that word mercy there is a very important word in the Old Testament. It's the word hesed. It describes God's unfailing love. And if you were looking to a, for a New Testament counterpart to this Old Testament word hesed, it would be the Greek word agape, which talks about God's amazing love, the, the unfailing love of God. So dear friends, would you just listen to these words of wisdom from Brother Jonah? If we rely on false security and the support that we get from worthless idols, we are going to forfeit the mercy of God that could be ours. Why do that? Why settle for anything other than God's best? And that's what God has for you. So in his prayer journal, we see returning, reflecting, repenting, and finally, we see renewing. Look at verse number 9. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed, because salvation is from the Lord. Now, what Jonah is doing there is saying, Lord, <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> and I am going to renew my commitment to you. Earlier I said that I, I feared and I worshiped God, and I really didn't mean that because I wasn't fearing and worshiping you, but Lord, I am now. I worship you and I fear you, and I'm, I'm going to make good on the commitment that I made to you. You see, somewhere along the way, God had called Jonah to be a prophet, and Jonah had submitted to that calling, but Jonah had turned away from that calling, and he was trying to go his own way. Now, after all that has happened to him, he is saying, Lord, I renew my commitment to you. I'm giving you my life lock, stock, and barrel. It's yours. I don't know if you've had a situation similar to this happen in your own life, but there may be some of you who remember a time when God very specifically spoke to you. And said, you know what, I've got a plan for your life. There, there's a purpose for you being here. This is what I want you to do. And if you're a believer, God has done that for you. And if you haven't heard it yet, we need to open up our spiritual ears because God has a plan for your life. And maybe God has spoken that word to you and placed that calling on you. But you know what, since that time, life has taken over. And your priorities have got out of whack. And you realize today, listening to this story of Jonah, that you're just like Jonah. You're very far away from what God made you to do. And you're not fulfilling the calling that God has placed on your life. Friends, listen to me. Restoration is not complete until you get back in the game. That's where God wants you. So we come to verse 10, the last verse of chapter 2. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Boy, I love that verse. Man, it's kind of gross, 
but I sure love it. Just to be like that fish. Because one day, God said to this big fish in the ocean, I need you. I want you to be right underneath this particular boat in this part of the sea at this particular time because I have a mission for you. And guess what? That's exactly where that fish was. And God said, I'm about to feed you, but I don't want you to chomp this bait in half. (laughs) Swallow it whole. And he did. And after three days and three nights, I'm, I'm sure the fish probably had a bellyache because I would, I would hate to have a rebellious prophet in my belly. But God said to the big fish, now it's time to dispel that food you have in your stomach, vomit it out on dry land, and here are the coordinates. Put it right here. And the fish did it. He obeyed. Oh, to be just like that fish. Turn to your neighbor and say, be just like that fish. Isn't that great? And so the fish vomited Jonah onto what? Dry land. Now here's where it gets pretty interesting. Theologians who study this speculate, and there's no way to know, but they speculate the location exactly where he was vomited on dry land was the exact place where he bought the ticket to go to Tarshish. On the same beach that he boarded the ship in Joppa to run from God. Some think that it's in that exact spot where the fish vomited Jonah. And by doing so, God said, Jonah, let's try this again. And I got to love that, don't you? Because when you step back and look at the story, this is what God is saying. Jonah, I'm going to give you a divine do-over. Y'all know do-overs? You're playing golf and you're with your buddies and there's four of you on the tee box and you all hit bad shots and you look at each other and somebody finally says, what about a mutually agreed do-over? Where we all get to hit again. And God is doing it. He says, Jonah, I'm going to give you a do-over. I am going to give you, here it is, a second chance. Did you know that God does that? I'm thankful for it, aren't you? One day somebody asked the famed evangelist, Billy Graham, if he believed in God's second chances. And without hesitation, Dr. Graham says, oh yes, he is the God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and a hundred chances and a thousand chances. As long as you're alive and breathing, God's going to give you another chance. That's just the way he is. He is great in mercy and power. So Jonah gets a second chance. Man. If you're here right now, could be, if you're listening right now, could be, God's offering that second chance to you. My advice is take it. I mean, if you're still here, it's for a reason. Take God's second chance. Take it for salvation. You need to be saved. Just receive Jesus as God's gift of salvation. He's giving you a second chance right now to be saved, to turn your life over to him. If, if you are a believer, God is giving you a second chance to do his will, his way. And that's the only way you can. That, that's what life is all about. God made you for a purpose. Fulfill that purpose. Say yes to God. Lord, I'm going to quit running from what you made me to be. I'm going to be that person today. And so, Lord, I'm going to come and I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to give you my mind, my eyes, my ears, my mouth, my hands, my feet, my heart, my will, my time, my talent, my treasures. It's yours, Lord. I'm going to lay it on the altar of sacrifice. Use me. I'm yours. I'm so thankful for second chances. I know Peter is as well. I'm almost done, so hang with me just for a second. Remember Peter? He was that bold apostle. Jesus talked about his death, and Peter said, Lord, they're not going to take you. They're going to have to come through me to get to you, Jesus. (laughs) Lord said, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Peter said, no way. 
You know what happened. During that night, he denied that he knew the Lord three times. And then Jesus was crucified. He was buried in a tomb. A few days later, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene and James came to anoint the body of Jesus. And as they walked up to the tomb, they were asking, who's going to remove the stone? We don't have the strength to move that stone away from the entrance of the tomb. But when they got there, the stone had been rolled away. And in Mark chapter 16, it tells us they walked into the tomb, and there they saw a young man sitting there. And he said to them, he was an angel, he said, you look for Jesus. He ain't here. He's risen. And in Mark 16 verse 7, here's what the angel said. Go tell his disciples and Peter. Why did he say that? Why did he say, tell the disciples and Peter? Because Peter had messed up. Peter had blown it. Three times he denied Jesus. Peter had hit rock bottom. And Peter needed to know from the Lord he had a second chance. Thank God for his second chances, man. And today you have a second chance. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak this hope and grace and mercy into our hearts today. For those listening online and those present in this room who need to take advantage of that second chance, I pray that we'd do so right now. So would you please stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? Just stand. We, because of COVID, we can't have invitations where you come to the altar anymore. But you know what? You, you can come to the altar right where you're standing. Make that your altar. And if you need to say yes to God's plan and will for your life with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you do that right now? Say yes to God. If, if you're here today or listening online and you've never been saved, God is he's calling you. He's pleading with you. Receive me. Receive my gift of salvation. Say, preacher, I don't know how to do that. It's real simple. You say a prayer kind of like this. Dear Jesus... Forgive me of my sins. I repent. I ask you to come into my heart. Save me, Lord. I believe you can, and I confess you as Lord. And if you would just say a simple prayer like that, God will save you. Give you a second chance to live for him. And for those of you who are believers, stop running from God. Right now, make the place you're standing your altar, and just give him everything. Say, Lord, I've been running from you, now I'm running towards you. Take my life. Make me into the person you've called me to be. And dear Lord, I pray that you would do that for everyone in this room and everyone who is listening online. I pray that we would be fully on board with you, that we would be on mission with you, Lord. Help us to have a passion for the nations. Help us to win people to Christ. Lord, help us to train believers to become disciples and train us as well. And then, dear Lord, send us back out into our world to make an impact for you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated just for a second. Man, thanks for coming today and thanks for listening. Come back next week and we're going to be in Jonah chapter 3. It gets better, all right? So come back next Sunday. It's going to be a great time in the Lord's a house listening to his word. Just a couple of reminders. Tonight at 6 o'clock, uh, Brother Johnny is going to be on Facebook Live having kids church for our kiddos. Uh, he is having kids church back there. And today we started We Worship, this service. So thankful for that, aren't you, that we got We Worship open again. But tonight, if you want to watch Brother Johnny, you can at 6 o'clock. Then at 6.30, Facebook Live, we have our adult Sunday school class. Brother Stacy Cronister is teaching the lesson, so I encourage you to tune in for that and watch. This Wednesday night, we are back live in Wednesday night service. So we're excited about that. And kind of here, here the, here's the way it's going to uh, all fall out. At 7 o'clock, adults are going to be in here. It's just going to be our, our typical Wednesday evening service where we preach and pray and have a good time. Brother Nathan is going to have the teenagers in the big gym. So you're not going to be upstairs. You're going to be in the big gym to have social distancing. But it's going to be set up there. It's going to be a great time. Then all of the kids are going to go back to uh, Brother Johnny's kids' zone. And so be praying for Wednesday night. And if you can... 
be here, okay? I think it's going to be encouraging to you. Uh, another big thing coming up that we're opening back up is ladies' Bible study. Gail, this sounds like a good one. Uh, it starts October 13, runs through November 17th. It's going to be both Tuesday mornings at 9.30 or Tuesday evenings at 6.30. They have a choice. Uh, the study is called Take Courage. It's a study of the book Haggai. Cost is $18. Uh, ladies, you're going to be meeting in here in the worship center again so we can practice social distancing. Um, you can sign up one of three ways, either online, Facebook link, you can sign up on the sheet in the connect counter outside, or you can just call the church and sign up. Uh, Miss Gail needs to know that you're going to sign up by September 30th, or I guess fourth way, they can just come talk to you, can't they? So, ladies, that's exciting, right? And uh, we're glad that we're going to reintroduce that. Uh, one other thing, I want you to pray for uh, Charlie Wagner, pray for Don Justice, had hip replacement, pray for Ron and Sandy. Um, boy, Ron is recovering from the motorcycle accident, and then uh, the coronavirus has hit their, their family, and so we really need to pray for them, uh, lift them up to the Lord in prayer. And then I got this uh, message right before I came in here to preach second service. Brother Carl Cheshire, the uh, former pastor of Kavanaugh, Brother Carl was here for 28 years. Uh, he is in the hospital this morning, was admitted this morning with pneumonia. And so please lift up Brother Carl. Uh, he means the world to our church, means the world to me. Do pray for Brother Carl and his family as well, okay? Uh, when you leave today, don't forget to drop your tithe off into the box, or you can give online. Remember that I love you. I know Brother Jason loves you. The staff loves you. But most of all, God loves you. Have a great day.